I'm Cutter Calloway, and today we're breaking the marriage idol with Tim Cooper. Trust behind a sorry garden. Smother manipulated honey from rose. Tim is the director of Starting Point at North Point Ministries in Atlanta and director of adult ministry environments at Browns Bridge Church. Shake your feet while you sit and fit all your dreams. So, uh, you know, and I actually um, listened to, I think I told you, uh, the your presentation on leadership training and, oh, and what um, what what you're sensing is sort of the the need for leaders in the church today. And part of the reason why I thought it'd be great to have you on, not that you or I are marriage experts. Um, <laughs> and, and as you know, now having read the book, the book's not meant to be something that is like marriage advice or anything. Right. Um, really, in my take, and tell me if, if this sounds right to you now having read it, but um, really, it was me saying, what does cultural engagement look like with this particular uh, point as its focus in terms of both how we understand ourselves as a community of faith and then also how we um, uh, basically embody what we say we believe <laughs> so right. that the the rest of the world might see it? Um, is that is that sort of the sense that you got in terms of how, how I'm thinking about cultural engagement or did you come away with something different? Well, yes, I, I think it it definitely was a Christian cultural engagement um, premise, but I think even the identifying the problem is a big first step. Um, hmm. you, you, the the thing that I appreciated was just articulating marriage as an idol, which I feel like some of the times when I read it, it's it's like you articulated it well, but I I haven't had the wounding or the challenge of anyone actually um, saying some of the things that people have said in the book. Like nobody ever held hmm. singleness over my head or nobody yeah. ever, I got married young. I mean, I got married, yeah. I was engaged as a teenager. So um, I, I didn't experience that. And I don't feel like people overtly and outrightly say things like you should be married, yeah. but that doesn't mean it isn't unbelievably implied. So yeah. Yeah. I thought identifying it was one of the biggest ahas to me that, you know, as I've read the book over the last couple of weeks, um, it, it's everywhere hmm. Hmm. and it's, it's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's really interesting to hear. Cause I, I agree. I think the the hard part is with anything like this is it's so much of what isn't said or at least yeah. isn't explicit, but comes through in all these other forms. So how would you, so you, you said you got engaged anyway when you were a teenager. I'm assuming, does that mean like 19 or? Yes, did 19. You get, did you get married when you were 20 then? At 21, right oh, after nice, I turned 21, nice. yeah. Uh, so how then would you, how would you describe, um, since you're saying you didn't really, no one explicitly was saying anything to you, but then how would you describe maybe the story, whether that was implicit or not, about marriage that you did inherit um, growing up? There wasn't much talked about in terms of faith or marriage in, in my upbringing, but marriage was assumed. I mean, there was never, hmm. um, and I, I like maybe lots of people there, there were, there was things that p my parents probably hoped I inferred or learned, but were not directly talked or talked about. Hmm. And sexuality was a big one of those. So yeah. marriage kind of just falled. Uh, or just basically was right in line with that where we didn't, in my upbringing, we didn't talk about really any of that. You, you don't, <laughs> you don't talk about sex, politics, religion. You just fall in line, um, yeah. try not to cause waves, but it wasn't talked about at all, really. Huh. So it really was one of those implicit things yeah. that, the, that the default assumption with which everybody operated. Exactly. And my sister got married. She was older than me and got married in college. And that just kind of, you know, that's normative. I was yeah. five years younger than her and I was just, that's just kind of what happens. <laughs> what, where was that? What part of the country? Ohio. I was uh, raised okay. in Ohio. A I grew up in Ohio. Boy. Yes. Uh, yeah. Love Ohio. Just don't want to live there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I apologize to anyone listening from Ohio right, right now. Um, uh, so can you think now that you're in a, in a context of, of Christian leadership, formal 
um, uh, you know, public in that sense. Um, and, and in fact, with, with quite a few people sort of under your care, um, is there, you know, in the book, we have all these different anecdotes of people sharing, like, here's how I've encountered this norm and this idol at work in my life. Um, and, and the number of people I've asked, do you have like a similar anecdote that you could point to? I want, and, and that'll be the question I ask you, but then I wonder also if now, if you're saying some of what's happened here and you reading the book is it's naming what you didn't realize was the case. Are there any stories that you can think back that maybe you were on the other end of that? <laughs> like you were the person saying something to a single person or a married person that that really just assumed all of this um, that that you can recall. Or is yeah. there something that you you know um, have experienced that you could share a little anecdote? Well, I I would have to ask my single friends, um, which are in, uh, honestly increasingly less. But my friends that are single and were single into their twenties and thirties, um, their displeasure with singleness probably reinforced my unhealthy, uh, yeah. framework. So yeah. I, I think, you know, they weren't, I didn't, I, I really didn't have, I mean, you know, a Wesley Hill type, um, example of somebody that, that was mm. owning and thriving in mm. their own, um, singleness. So, so uh, honestly, I probably, I can't think of any, but I probably, there are probably hmm. too many to count of ways that I, I shared that viewpoint of marriage is part of a thriving adult Christian life, yeah. um, which I hate. I mean, it, that, that was the best part for me that, uh, realized that this, this wasn't a category of who needs to read this. This was, I was grateful to read it. Oh, wow. Well, um, it, it's really fascinating to hear that. I, I mean, I, I was actually um, late coming to us talking today because I was just out at uh, um, Disney Studios. And uh, there's a woman that that um, I know she's a student here at Fuller and works at Disney, um, single woman. And she uh, leads a, basically a, a small group, uh, women's group um, for Disney employees, um, mm. most of whom this, this group are Christians, but not all of them. Um, but uh, all of them at this point are single, either always have been or now are divorced or, you know, in, in some other scenario that puts them in this yeah. category of singleness. Um, and, you know, they went around and shared and just said, here's who, here's who I am, et cetera. And they're, they're reading early drafts of the book, right? And uh, it was interesting because some of them and will will come out, like you're saying, with your, um, with your friends of really saying, man, I, I really am not pleased with being single. I want to be married, right? I have this sort yeah. of longing. Um, while also acknowledging, you know, when they have a good friend in that same group who's divorced and coming out of just a horrific marriage where it was even, you know, worse than being single or right. alone, you know, and them trying to say, yeah, you know, be careful what you wish for. Um, I, how do you, now that you're in a pastoral role and can just assume that in your community, you've got a mixture of people, both single, not single. Yep. Uh, people who want to be married, people who don't want to be married, you know, all across the board. Um, how do you think about pastoring as a married person who, uh, well, I don't, you don't have to speak on this if you don't want to, I believe from my perspective has a, a marriage you enjoy. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm you know, thrilled a good marriage can, you know, it, it's a wonderful blessing, but at the same yeah. time, it can also, one of my reoccurring uh, I don't even know what the right sin patterns is to try to uh, have my wife fill needs and desires mm -hmm. and holes in my soul that only God can fill. I mean, yeah. that that is a ongoing temptation for me as well, even as a married person. So is that part of how you then pastor people? What 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 is your approach to that in terms of the way you think about your role in relationship to the single people in your community, and then maybe also uh, people that are married and, and have been operating under these same assumptions? Well, one of the things that it highlighted to me, I, I do a lot of interviewing for our church and for our mm -hmm. church staff. And yeah. uh, I, I started thinking back through some of the interviews I've done recently with married people and with single people. And one of the things that I say that I I mean, well, um, but I even say to single people is your family comes first and not, not implying they need more people than them to be a family. And I, I make that yeah. clear, but I, 
I say you are enough to come first. Just because I have a wife and kids doesn't mean that my family comes first and it's more. It's like yeah. you you come first. So you have to prioritize your own health and development because um, if they, you know, if in that time they've expressed a desire for children or something, I'm, you know, I say just because your kids don't have names and faces doesn't mean they're counting on you any less. Um, but if, if they are single and content and thriving in their singleness and aren't even desiring marriage, I would still say your family comes first and, and your family is your community and your people Mm -hmm. and your friends and your, I, I think that has to come first in their ministry. So part of, part of, I feel like even my job as a pastor is to help prioritize and remind what's true. Hmm. And a single person's family is, is their network, is their community is, and it's just as important as mine, just because mine has just because I had vows and just because I had a wedding and just because we have kids and that, that doesn't become more important. I am not more of a son of God than the person I'm (laughs) interviewing or, or, you know, they're, my wife is not more of a daughter of God because she's married. That's, that's not, that's not true. Yeah. That's, that's really fascinating. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that element of, um, if let's say you're on a, a staff, um, or even if it's not a staff, if it's, you know, just a collection of people that have a sort of common ministry goal, um, and it's sort of just, you know, common sense, quote unquote, that a parent is going to default to put their children first and, and that the children's needs will come before whatever it is they've committed in this ministry. Right. And yet, um, the sort of implied, uh, result of that is that if you're single and you don't have kids, well, your relational network isn't that important, right? Like you well, should, just you this should, week. Yeah. yeah. I just this week I came in late to work because my kids had a, uh, award ceremony at their school. Mm, so yeah. I attended and it's celebrated and people ask me about it and it's wonderful. And, but what if, what if a single person at work wanted to attend, what if yeah. they wanted to attend my kids award ceremony or something yeah. because they felt that connected to my children, but yeah. that might be frowned upon at oh, their yeah. work. Yeah. You know? They're not your kids. They're not, you they're know. not your kids. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, and, and again, I'm even, even now hearing you say is it, it you know, I feel like I, I authored this book, but it, it's not mine, right. That I, yeah. I'm sort of at best trying to capture the stories of various people and, 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 and put them out there for us to consider. And even hearing you talk about it, I'm, I'm realizing the various ways I do that. And even now sitting here going, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's my kids that aren't, right. you know, yeah, I, you know, I struggle with that. Um, do you think, and, and that makes me think as, you know, in a pastoral role, um, you and I are actually limited in a certain way of fully mentoring, pastoring, uh, seeing the needs of, the single men and women in our communities. And we usually think the opposite, that that you need that being married actually um, as, a, as a member of a staff um, allows you to be more capable of pastoring more kinds of people. I wonder, what do you think about um, the reverse? Let's say you're a single person sitting in your role, interviewing <laughs> married staff people mm-hmm. or, or being asked to, to counsel um, people who are married. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do we, is there another sort of implicit bias, if you will, <laughs> against singleness well, in ministry? I am, it's, it's so interesting because it's just so, uh, and I, I hate, but it's so rare. Yeah. I, I don't on our staff. I mean, there's hundreds of staff and there's tens of pastors, tens, twenties, thirties of pastors. There's just very few that are single. We do have few, we have very prominent uh, single roles. Um, and they are celebrated. I don't, I don't know them to be any, I've not been in a situation where they're, they have been passed over, marginalized or anything because their singleness. There's just so few that you, you know, there, there's just so, that's the hard thing. There's just so few of them that you wouldn't say they were passed over just because of their singleness, you know, that, that wouldn't be the case, but I think, I think it's needed. I think I, I I would love to see that, um, more of a, more of a thriving category because I, the continuing to, to 
explain to people that marriage is the way to flourish and which sets them up to fail in marriage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, part of the reason that people are so dissatisfied in their marriage is because they thought it would fill that yeah. hole in their soul yeah. that only God can fill means they're, that we're signing people up for bad marriages, which only then perpetuates a worse yeah. situation and a worse community. So I would love for thriving single adults to be on stage and, and be in prominent positions. So let's, let's imagine a future where, you know, Tim and Cutter rule the world and, mm -hmm. you know, world. <laughs> it is a pretty sad, sad world. Okay, so, sad so maybe we world. don't rule the world, but but yeah. um, but whatever we think right now is true. Okay, let's so, so let's okay. say you and I are, are on on a similar page in terms of the both the issue, the kind of the problem, and then what we think might be a, a, a scenario in the future that we would hope for. Is there? But we're both realists, right? Like you know, your your day to day grind in pastoral ministry. That's the that's the context I come out of as well. Um, and I go for all my kind of highfalutin ideas, I still come back and it's like, boo, I'm, I'm hit immediately with the sort of on the ground concrete reality of doing the hard work of ministry. Do you think the things that I'm raising here, or even just the conversation we're having right now, is that what has an actual real world chance of happening? And what are the things that you're kind of like, eh, that might be nice, but n no way that's not going to work. Um, well, I never... I never want to give up hope. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's the, I don't need to be doing what I'm doing if I've lost yeah, hope. Um, so I love, I love this thought. I love reclaiming and pulling back towards um, health in every aspect. Mm -hmm. to, to me, the biggest audience, I think, I think to assume that this would, um, you know, catch on like wildfire in the church lay people would be, would be a step beyond where I think it is. I think, I think pastors need to wrestle with mm. this, uh, now, mm. you yeah, know, and yeah. it's, it's not the kind of title that they would maybe, uh, it's not the kind of topic that they would be like, Oh, I need to wrestle with this <laughs> now. I need, I need, you know, uh, there, there's a lot, um, sexier titles out right now, I'm sure in terms of topics. Well, the original but, title, did I tell you what it was for the book? No, sex, saints, no. and singleness. Because well, sex on. sells, baby. A, sex does sell. <laughs> Breaking the marriage <laughs> idol. They're like, hey. It's a more I'm, accurate title, but. Uh, it is. No, it, it's identifying and breaking is. It just, I, I think when people, at first glance, people won't realize how much they need to read this because of how much it impacts their day-to-day -day mm -hmm. life and how much, how much the um, view of uh you know, the view of same sex community and, um, how much our view and idol of marriage impacts that before we can even enter into a mm -hmm. conversation about sexuality. Um, that's, that's where I feel like, can, can it, can it take root in the church? Absolutely. Can it change the church? Absolutely. I think it's the pastors that need to, um, own this, mm -hmm. Uh, as a way of seeing things, you know, it can't be, they can't be forced upon somebody because this is not something that people are asking for. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. it's, it's not uh, the, the average married leader in our church is not going <laughs> to understand they need this. You know, mm -hmm. they, they want the marriage help book. They yeah. want it yeah. to be a, you know, but what are the five ways that I can improve what's going on in the marriage? And I mean, and honestly, that's this, this has helped my marriage already. Oh, um, wow. Is, is well, just as a reminder that it's, I can enjoy it more when I use it and approach it as for what it could be, not hmm. for what it couldn't be. Yeah. And when I approach it the other way, it, it, it ultimately sets it up to fail. Huh. Yeah. I, um, hearing you say that I, you know, <laughs> the, the, uh, the publisher initially, you know, I gave him some drafts and some ideas for table of contents, et cetera. And, and they go, you know, you, you've done a really good job of convincing us why nobody should get married. Um, <laughs> but you are a Christian who's married and and you're not yep. saying people shouldn't. So maybe you should have a chapter on on why Christians should get married. Yeah. So so the chapter I wrote on on what would this look like actually was I for me the most it, one. It was um, the one part of the book I, I hadn't th thought of before I started writing and was the most enjoyable and fun and probably creative because I basically said, mm. all right, let me. Let me see if I believe what I actually am saying. And that is if we sort of scrub this 
uh, sort of romantic notion of uh, sort of Disneyfied, Disneyfied uh, version of yep. marriage. Um, what then would be this sort of Christian notion of marriage? Why why do it? And and that was I thought. So maybe that is also where I'm thinking like, yeah, that that was helpful for my own marriage of saying, yeah, this is there's this great need um, in my life and the life of others that my marriage can address. Um, that I really had never considered, uh, and and maybe, huh? Maybe that is. Maybe I should go back and write a new forward and say this is, in fact, a marriage <laughs> self help book. Um, it is. You read it. Well, and I think honestly, one of the biggest takeaways uh, modeling for my kids a an appropriate faith and an appropriate uh, view of marriage will only help them decide whether marriage is for them yeah. or not. Yeah. And I I don't want to place onto them anything beyond I hope for them to have faith in God. I don't, I don't want to. And and we've, we've done that since birth. They don't have to be married. Yeah. Marriage is not something that they have to, but if they do, here's yeah. who they're looking for. And if, you know, this yeah. is what's compatible yeah. and here's what, here's what we did. And, but we've, we've tried, thankfully from the beginning, we don't have a lot of undoing with that where we, we've really tried to say, if you don't have to, you are complete. You are good as you are. You are, you are great. But every sign they get outside of that yeah. says yeah. otherwise. Yeah. And I think that's, that's also my, you know, fear is not the right word, but my concern is I think through those other outside stories or other stories, mm-hmm. both, both I'm meaning outside of my wife and I, right. So that would include our church community, but then also just the broader world in which we live. And, and then I think there's also, um, my own narration of things. So um, I, I think through, uh, <laughs> you know, you kind of hit on it in terms of the way you see your wife and your marriage and the, I don't know if you had said idolatry, but some other word. Yeah, no, um, reoccurring your, sin your, pattern. Re- reoccurring sin pattern, yeah. Um, and I, this was challenging for me on, um, as I was writing this book, to, to really go all in on saying, okay, if we take what Jesus and Paul are saying um, seriously and and really say, the 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 fully flourishing human at full stretch right in in the presence of god in the kingdom the coming kingdom is a person that's not given in marriage and then i think back and i go i don't even i don't even know i too got married very young mm-hmm. and 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 i think i don't know who i am as not married as yes. not jessica's husband and so it makes me think i don't think i believe it at the core of me, I'm not sure I actually believe that not being married would be fulfilling. Right. Um, and that's a that's a challenge. Um, do you, and you say it is for you as well. Do you do you think that's how is it that we? So how how do I communicate that to my kids or not? How do I demonstrate genuine Christian love for my wife as a married person without it? <laughs> right. You know this alternative narrative of but I'm not myself without her. You well, know? I. I can only speak for for my growth and life. Um, when I have put all of my community, like I, I don't just, I'm not just a groups pastor. Like community is, I'm a satisfied customer as well. Like yeah, groups yeah. has changed my life and it has been the vehicle um, for growth in my life. And nothing has been better in the terms of the way that God has grown me than through community. But if mm-hmm. I were to lie to myself and say that it's all been my wife, that she would have the, you know, like she's, I have a, I have a financial mentor. Well, if I were to put that yoke around my wife's neck, like mm-hmm. I have, I also have a counselor that's helped me. I have mm-hmm. a professional coach. Mm-hmm. I have an accountability group. I have a men's group. Like I have all these mm-hmm. other people. And if I were to put all of that on her shoulders and say, you need to be all of these for me, I would be setting her up to fail. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't even practice or model that. So why would I try to say that for somebody else? Like, you're not going to be complete until you get the spouse. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. not been how I grow. Now, she has been a wonderful source of all of the, like all of those steps have been made easier and better because she's with me. But at the same time, to assume that she's all things and everything to me is trying to set her up to fail. So I don't Mm -hmm. want to turn around and do that to anyone else. I don't want to say there's no way you can grow in community without this one companion because that's not been true 
for me, that's not, that's not true. I don't think for anybody. Yeah. So maybe that's, uh, one of the women in this, uh, small group that I just came from, they were talking uh, with me. Uh, she really, she said something really similar of, and she was saying she's, she's a younger professional, a lawyer and, and saying like, I don't want to get married. Right. <laughs> and, and my mom is, you know, doesn't love that idea, but, uh, she's, you know, dealt with it. And, um, but you know, and part of it, what she was saying is, but the truth is I go home to my community and they are deeply fulfilling in a way that, you know, okay, maybe I would want to get married at some point in the future and and that's there, but I'm I, at, at no point would that replace this community. And so she was even saying maybe part of it isn't just a, a breaking down the idol of marriage, but we, we don't do enough for how actually fulfilling community is. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's both broadly cultural, but then also in the church, which is so interesting because most thriving churches are driven by our sort of community groups, our small groups, our, you know, our, whatever we would call them. Um, and then even gets to, uh, that'd be one question I have for you. Cause you, you still do a uh, lead starting point, right? Is yes. that, okay. So you still are formally there, which, um, I've really been impressed with me getting to know North point more. Um, also a really relationally communally driven form of engagement with people who are not part of the community of faith. Right. And, and so in, in, if, if anything, it's really just an expansion of community, not evangelism per se. Mm. Um, so I wonder, do you think, uh, in those terms is put your, your, uh, starting point hat on. Yeah. Um, is there a sense in which our dysfunction or idolization of marriage is in fact inhibiting our ability to engage our culture faithfully or engage people who are in our lives faithfully? I, I mean, I, I think so because I think, I think when we tell the story that once you get married, you basically have all you need, you, you really are setting them up for a miserable marriage. I mean, and it's not because you can't find enjoyment and satisfaction, but it's not even the way that we, like you said, our, our evangelism strategy is one of multiple relationships. It's not one of, mm -hmm. it's not a mentorship. It's not a, oh, you have questions about faith, come forward and we will pair you with this guy or with this lady because they are super knowledgeable in the faith. It's like, no, come into this community with mm -hmm. people that have questions like you do, meet other people like you, meet people a little further along in their journey. And honestly, the, the, the biggest change we've had, um, that I know you know this, but we look for the posture over of our leader more than we look for the theological equipping of our leader. And that mm -hmm. can be super scary to people because they think, <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, what are they teaching them? And it, yeah. the content is the theological training. And we do, we do have theological training. Sure. We love it. But sometimes when you are only looking at credentials, yeah. you're forgetting to look at the fruit and the life mm -hmm. that they live. And we, we worry more about their written down answers than we do how we experience them. And we turn people off the faith. So I, I think marriage is the same. They can, you can have all these degrees, but if you if we're not, if we're turning even the healthiest marriage or even, even an attractive marriage could be an idol. It could be people mm -hmm. that are loving the marriage more than they're loving God, which, you know, in best definition is an idol. Yeah. Well, and it's something we humans are very good at. Oh, man. <laughs> Me in particular. Uh, and, yeah. In every sphere. I mean, it's just like, and, and even the best of things, right. That really yeah. are something God approves of and loves and cherishes. And then we take it and distort it in really amazing ways. Yeah. Um, I love that idea of, of marriage as basically credentialing, um, mm -hmm. when it comes to Christian ministry, that, that, that you become married and it's like you, you now have a pass into this yep. whole world that those who don't have the credential and, and often we don't go through the harder work of asking about questions of character and can you assume certain postures? Um, do you have a kind of wisdom and, and capacity with people? That's the real key. Not necessarily you said I do at some point and signed a right. piece of paper. Like, oh, you're um, married. This must be good. You yeah, must be likable. Exactly. You must be. Um, and, and then to say um, that, you know, back to my questions about how does a married pastor, pastor singles and vice versa, mm -hmm. that um, even that question was probably a bad one because th that shouldn't be your alternatives. It shouldn't be that, that right. you just have this one person who's, quote unquote, your pastor, but that, in fact, you're drawing from a community of wise counselors who come from a diversity of perspectives, um, in, a, in, a, in an ideal community anyway. Well, and it, if you spend, if 
I do you a disservice if you spend 10 minutes with me and you, and you really are asking about me and I only tell you about my nuclear family. Like yeah. if I only tell you about my wife and my kids, I mean my parents, but if I tell you, if I open up the broader context of the people that I feel like are my community that care about my growth, that care about my um, shortcomings, that care about me taking a step forward, there's men, there's women, there's single people, there's married people, there's all sorts of people that are involved. And I, I hope that is a much truer sense of my world than just mm. my wife. And, yeah. and I, and like you said, I, I love my marriage and I enjoy it, but I enjoy it more when I don't make it have to be more than <laughs> is wise than, yeah. than it should yeah. be. Yeah. Having it bear a weight. It was never designed. To. There's this quote, uh, from a book called the road trip that changed the world that I think, oh, uh-huh. uh, is just, I know you, I've, I've mentioned it to you before, but He's like, this is one of the high, one of the factors behind the contemporary high divorce rate is a, smou- a spouse must be an intimate best friend, provide the emotional support of a therapist, be a, su- a supplier of constant sexual fulfillment. They must also possess the economic security of a banker and the moral guidance <laughs> of a pastor while allowing enough relational distance so as not to impinge on their lover- lover's personal autonomy. <laughs> like who could succeed in a marriage like that? Man, that's you good. I, I, you've recommended that a couple of times now. That's officially sealed the deal. I need to read okay, it. Good. Read I'm it. telling you that book, I keep going back to it, but it, um, but it's like, who could, I, I don't want to put my wife mm. up against that. Yeah. I want her yeah. to succeed. You know, I want her to enjoy being married to me and yeah. <laughs> I want to have mentors that I can go to. And I want to, I really want to, I, I want to, to, to have a great marriage. And I think part of that is not making it more than it should be. So part of what you're getting at too um, is the sense of creating that space. So, so as we think about how we organize ourselves as a community, we need to generate this kind of space and cultivate it in a way that um, generates a, a sense in which we're not asking certain individuals or whoever to bear a burden that just no human could. And then it strikes me that both of us, um, and, and I'm interviewing a number of people at different sort of life situations, but both of us are married men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so some of what this gets into uh, in terms of how we expect certain spouses or whatnot to bear certain burdens really falls along some traditional kind of gender roles. Yep. And I, I, I don't think, it, this isn't in the book, but, but I will often share, I, I was on staff at a church and- um, pretty newly there. And I think like within a month, the men's retreat comes up. Dum, mm-hmm. dum, dum. And I'm, mm-hmm. I hate men's retreats. Um, I just, I'm not, I, for a number of reasons, mainly sleep related. Um, but, <laughs> but it's also, I feel, you know, set aside marriage for a second. I just feel so much pressure about what I'm not when it comes to being a man in the Christian community. Um, meaning I, and maybe it's just my own sort of insecurities, but, but I'm often like, man, I'm not that. I never have felt like that when it says, what is a Christian man supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if let's say there's top 10 list, maybe I'm one, uh, you know, um, and that's mostly just capacity to grow a beard. Um, right. and that has nothing really to do with any choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm proud of it, but it's by no mm-hmm. choice. Right. You know, um, other than that, it's like, I don't fit any of these categories. And I'm at this retreat is for, you know, I'm on staff and it's, you know, a bunch of people in the, the opening night and they get the pastoral staff up and it's kind of like a get to know your pastor thing, you know? Um, and, and so basically they said, Oh, you know, introduce yourself, what ministry you're over and then tell us, you know, your, your favorite movie. Right. And so pretty, mm-hmm. cl- pretty immediately it's, the guy movies, right? And so everyone's mm-hmm. like, it's Die Hard and Gladiator and Braveheart, you know, down the road. And, and you're so, like, you've got mail. <laughs> no, much, much worse. Um, oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm still pretty young at this time. I mean, I'm young now, but I was even younger then and stupid. And um, and so it gets to me and I'm, I'm sitting there going, you know, it's not that I dislike those. I watch them, but they're not my favorite movie. And am I supposed to be honest here or just say what everyone expects me to say? And so <laughs> I go, well... I don't watch movies. I watch film. I watch film. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and then I, I said, you know, what my favorite movie, you know, some obscure f- film. And so, and the, 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 the head pastor who probably was in a similar role to yours, you know, did like community group stuff and goes, Cutter, you might want to say something different because you're alienating your audience. Like he says it out loud to me and I'm uh-huh. like, uh, uh, okay. Uh, 
the Braveheart, Braveheart. I love right. Braveheart. You know, is that okay? Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, okay. And it was just this great, you know, experience, one, and two, a reminder that um, even if I'm I'm trying to say, even as a leader in this space, like maybe there's someone else here in the audience that that doesn't align this way, that that there's space for you. There's someone like you. And I'm pretty clearly told, no, that's to alienate us all. So mm-hmm. I say all that just to say, um, I think now if I'd written the book, I would I would call this toxic masculinity, right? That there's yeah. in the church, like the broader world, we're seeing all these different places of industry. Um, that is, I think men are seeing some of the ways that we interact. Um, do you think that has any bearing? Like as you as a man in the church, is that involved in any way in the way that we talk about relationships, marriage, um, singleness? Yeah. Well, and I, the interesting thing is I don't think it just pertains to men, although I am only a man, so I can't, you know, fully speak, but I think it's more of a, especially like even in the story you just said, it is more about, um, being uncomfortable with growth than with, um, putting pastors, men and women on a pedestal. Like Hmm, we want you, I, and this is just something I've noticed and I, I genuinely want to change in uh, in whatever sphere I can is that we don't seem to be comfortable with, we, we love how our pastors grew. We don't really love pastors that are in process. So if you have grown through something or we'd love to hear about your fight with your wife from two years ago, but we don't want to hear about the one you had in the car on the way over here because Mm -hmm. we need Mm -hmm. you to be on this pedestal. So it's honestly more of a it's a conformity thing, but it's also a growth thing. Like we do, we are not comfortable with you being in process and it's a lie. I mean, it's, you're in process. I'm in process. And we like when our pastors are transparent, we don't really like when they're vulnerable Hmm. and that's a big distinction, Hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the thing that I keep, I, I would go back to is I don't think it's just masculinity. I think Hmm. it's femininity. I think it's, um, I, I think it's, marriage, but I think it's more of a growth thing. Hmm. And we're not comfortable, like, you know, for a 20 something year old to choose celibacy or, or any type of, you know, like, I love the idea of a rite of passage or a ritual, but man, they need community more than anything. I mean, and as a 20 year old to be married, I needed community Mm -hmm. and I needed, the answer is community. I don't care what the diagnosis is. It's, they need community. So I know that that doesn't really answer it directly, but it, I think it's a growth thing, not just a male thing. Cause I've never identified with, I drink coffee black just to make up for it. Even though I have a beard, <laughs> I feel like I need two of the top 10. Two things, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think, I think we, we don't, we aren't comfortable with growth because we do really want, um, we want somebody we can aspire to. And so mm. we constantly, Jesus is so far up there that we constantly put other people on those pedestals and mm. Paul resisted it really well. I don't think we do. I don't. Mm. Well, mm. I mean, I, if somebody's putting me up there, it feels nice. Um, and at the same time reinforces me away from vulnerability yeah. and community, right? Cause you, and you, community, you can only sustain that for so long yeah. without it being found out. Right. And then, exactly. And of course we're shocked when our pastors and, and spiritual leaders turns out have terrible marriages and have been yeah. unfaithful and, you know, so forth and so on. It's like, where uh, could they tell this? Yeah. Um, it's, I had somebody recently that was just letting me into something that they, it, it's a newer pastor and it was a, a, a situation they did really well. Hmm. And I loved that they let me in, like they brought me into it. They told me about it, but I was really careful to say, listen, when it doesn't go well, you're going to be tempted to not tell me. And I want you to tell hmm. me, because I don't expect you to be perfect. I expect you to yeah. be growing. Yeah. Like, I want you to grow. I don't want you to be perfect. And if you, you lo- like you telling me the good ones, I love it. But if you're tempted to not tell me the, the, the bad ones, we've got a problem. And I don't need you to be perfect. You know, oh, there's a temptation. Yeah, there is. And, and it's, you know, when you, <laughs> when you add the marriage thing to it, you've got, um, not just the, the, the pastor, but then that pastor's spouse is immediately mm-hmm. put on the same pedestal. Their children are put on that pedestal. Oh, and, yeah. you know, then it just the, that sort of this vicious cycle, um, that, that is unhealthy and, and yeah, it doesn't, I, I, but I really like that. I mean, it, it, it was an indirect answer, but it is the right one in that that's a, that's the larger, I think, or, or deeper, whichever direction you want to go metaphorically, yeah. <laughs> that, that it was this, no, you are literally on a pedestal right now. 
Um, and Act like it. yeah, and, and do what you were, you were asked to do here, you know? Um, and, uh, and yeah, to, to, and what a, if you think about it, what a upside down view of ministry, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like ministry, my brokenness is the best thing I have to offer in ministry because yeah. it pushes me to dependence. Um, but if this false humility or false version of me, it doesn't help anybody because if I, if I'm modeling perfection, I'm modeling something that nobody can really yeah. attain or go after. Yeah. So I'm actually making it more difficult for them to grow. Yeah. <laughs> not easier. Yeah. And myself too. Right. And I myself. Mean, yeah, know, because I mean, I'm not even doing it perfectly. Yeah. And so um, that, I mean, that's really insightful, I think for even simply how a, a person that would be, let's say you're single or married and you're in a leadership position over a community of mixed um, people, right. Mm-hmm. That, the sort of core common thread of humanity is that vulnerability is that, um, imperfection, uh, that, that really unites us all. Um, yeah. and, and if you're not, if you're not there, then you're, you're of course going to be alienating half your audience, um, right. or, or all of them, right. Because <laughs> of what you're presuming, um, about yourself and others. I think to one of the ways we talk about, if we don't distinguish the difference between groups and community, we set people up to be disappointed Mm. um, when they take a next step in the church. So to me, groups like community is the, it's the highway and groups are an on-ramp that may or may not get you on the highway for a long Mm. period of time. So you might have a bad group experience or like when you sign up for a group, it could be a men's group, women's group. It could be a couple's group. It could be, it could be a mixed group. It could be all sorts of different things depending on what you're doing. The goal is not to provide you with everything you need for community. The goal is to provide you an on-ramp where you may or may not meet people that are along with you for the journey. Hmm. So doing that, that's why I don't, I don't mind doing a, especially with the type of church that we have, we draw people that are brand new that have no, they haven't picked up a Bible. They've never. So if they need a group that is very like them, whatever stage they're at, and they need uh, a parenting group or something like that. I don't, I don't mind that because it's a step. It's a first step. It's something that makes it attractive. What I do mind is if they confuse that group with community and think that's where they should stay for the whole time. So what, what have you guys done practically to, to avoid that? Because I know, um, churches I've been a part of, uh, some, some of the women I was just talking to earlier, um, well, you know, you hear this often that it's like, okay, we're, we become a part of a, a singles group or a, a some other mini, sort of niche ministry or group in the church. And then it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like that becomes their church to the point that they'll even tithe to that group. They, yeah. they, they don't see themselves as part of the larger whole. Yep. That seems to be part of a natural progression. What is it that you're doing to, to make sure people don't confuse those two things? That's a really great question. Um, I, the the way that I would say we, if I could even speak for we, is we would ad- address some a problem like that um, from a leader influence perspective, mm-hmm. not from a uh, systematic perspective. Okay. Because as we continue to offer, you know, on ramps and the lowest rung on the ladder for people, you're going to get people that can take advantage of that system. But leaders, the more mm-hmm. we develop mm-hmm. and spiritually pour into our leaders the more they can identify people that are doing that. So if they're leading the, you know, uh, singles group that people are now finding their identity in a really good leader would be able to say, Hey, <laughs> here's what I've noticed. And let yeah, me, you know, yeah. they can talk to them about that and they can really work at it. So I feel like they, just because they could take advantage of something in our system doesn't mean we need to change the system. Yeah. I think it means we need to develop the leaders to understand and mm-hmm. know that kind of thing, mm-hmm. because the, I mean, this is from a cultural engagement standpoint and a church health standpoint. I think we have to create influencers and then release them Hmm. and we got to let them lead, Hmm. um, which is a a big, a big deal for making something like that happen. Because if you, if I sat here and we came up with the perfect system, (laughs) people would still gravitate towards taking advantage of it. You know, they would find a way to guilty as charged, you know, if you and I were in charge, which it's a scary day. Um, but if we were and we did create the best system, they would still get in their mixed, they'd find their identity in their mixed yeah. group that does social justice, that does all these different things. And it's like all these things are the good things we want them to do. But if they're finding their identity in them or if they are replacing 
their love of God for the love of thing that they're included in, they've actually used this good construct to do something that's awful. You know, it's something that's an idol. So I, it's, I think really helpful because, um, at least ostensibly the people that are going to be listening to this and thinking about this topic in particular, I mean, I've gone back and forth as to the value of, you know, singles ministries or, or, you know, young marrieds or whatever. Um, and, and in part it's, I've, you know, (laughs) I feel bad sometimes for my single friends who've been a part of like life groups because I'm like, I don't, I, I know what it's like to be single and I know it's, not great to feel like you your schedule is always dictated by the three-year-old right. that has to take a nap, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, man, as, as a guy with kids, I don't want my kids to dictate all the stuff that our our group does, but I have to, you know, you know, in this back to our conversation. But the three-year-old you know, has to take a nap. Yeah, the three-year-old has to take a nap, or nobody wants to see that. Uh, right. The three-year-old doesn't take a nap. Um, and so I go, man, I, I see some really great value in sort of people aligning by various affiliations. Um, mm-hmm. and then, but I think that's a great, if, if anyone else I think had told me the answer isn't systemic, it's, it's the, the leader in charge. I might go, mm-hmm. eh, I don't know, but because of the work I know you do and, and sort of the, the commitment that you make to developing leaders, um, I, I think it matter. I, I think it has a lot more cachet coming from you, uh, for that very reason. I just hope, I, I, I think our, you know, and, and I've been in North Point Ministries for 10 years, so it begins, you know, you stay anywhere that long, it begins to be the thing that you view life yeah, through. Yeah. So I, I wholeheartedly could be wrong. Um, <laughs> but I, I, we really are trying, especially in this city to create really, really great first steps for people. Yeah. And yet we don't want people to have to leave, um, to, be mature yeah, like to, yeah. to we don't want to be the first step only yeah. we want to be a church i mean we are a church we're not we're not a gathering for the unchurched we are a church for the unchurched yeah, you yeah. know we we want to to have and grow these people and we have found that you know we we don't offer classes we don't offer any of these things until people are leaders once they mm-hmm. become a leader then it opens up theological development yeah. it opens up all this other stuff because we try to keep it really simple there's one, I mean, in churches that are thousands and thousands of people and we are like, well, really there's one next step and it's starting point. Yeah. That's your next step. And once you've done that, it's getting a group yeah. and we could come up with a million other steps, but we don't want to confuse yeah. the two we think are best for you. And if you take that step and we have done the work of creating the best leaders we know how to put in charge of your development, we feel like that's where we get a bunch of mm-hmm. momentum. And to be honest, it's, you know, harder. <laughs> it it's, is harder. It's, it's actually easier to make a structure, to envision a perfect structure and implement it, and expect yep. people to conform, than to say, "No, we're gonna, we're gonna get on the ground with individual humans who are leading these groups and commit to their development." Well, um, it's slower too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can release a new program yeah. tomorrow, but yeah. Listening to your um, your talk the other day, I was just like, "That's that's why I'm in a season where I'm not in pastoral ministry." <laughs> I'm so impatient. I, it really is. It's a it's a, a heart issue for me, um, and I realized that I, again. I've I've decided my sort of uh, temporary season of not being in church ministry is me figuring out where I went wrong and what I can how I can grow before I can recommit. And hmm. and I, and a big 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 part of it is is patience. I, I I struggle with with being willing to be patient enough with a group of people to to not just be in for the long haul of their slow change, but then to be really happy and satisfied with moving the dial like a millimeter. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a good day. Too. Yeah. And on a fantastic, <laughs> Oh, I was talking about a decade, right? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and that's such a, like such a unique and important calling, um, to, to lead and shepherd people that way, uh, that, that is so important and so vital to the health of our churches. Well, it, for us, people will spend a decade investing in their neighbor mm-hmm. and, investing in somebody to come and try starting point. And when they do, if I haven't taken my job seriously, this person, we get one shot, you know, in investing in this person. And if I put somebody in there, that's not a fit, but I just didn't want to tell them no. Or I I was like, look, they're not a fit, but ah, he's a nice guy. So I'm just going to throw him in. And I've just wasted that, that opportunity you know, that's, that's on me. So it, it's the long road, but it's definitely Mm -hmm. the one we want. We want to be running down. Well, speaking of the long road, uh, last question I'll ask you is, is this, as we think about 
kind of what you inherited um, in terms of of marriage and community and singleness and all this stuff. Um, what's if you were going to say what's that story about marriage that you'd want to pass on? The one that's going to shape our collective imagination moving forward. How how would you describe that? Jeez. Oh, Carefully <laughs> and with a lot more thought than what I'm about to say. <laughs> um, I mean, I would say the same thing to um, the married person as I would the single person is that y- you, you don't have to add on to being a child. Being mm-hmm. a child is being loved. And that that's the best that you, you, you can know that more. You can understand that more. You can learn that more, but you can never become more of my child. None of my children will do anything in their lives to become more or less my child. And if, and if I lived out of that, you know, I, I talk about my Christian faith for, for nine years being an attention starved child of God. Mm -hmm. And then through a number of circumstances, beginning the journey of moving towards a loved son, um, Mm -hmm. is part of my story. And, uh, I, I would want that for everybody. I don't want anybody to live as if they need more or to do more to be a son or daughter mm-hmm. and marriage, single uh, attractions, addictions. I, I don't care. Um, none of those, none of those take away from your son or daughtership. And, and that is a big deal. I mean, that, that if that's flippant or taken lightly, then I haven't explained it well, because the fact that you are a loved son or you are a loved daughter is the greatest thing about you and you never have to add to that thanks again to my special guest Tim Cooper see all I got is this no and as always thanks to Day Salah Thompson for providing us with these sweet musical styles hoping there would be a return Shadows were cast into the void.